So that's the passage that we're looking at today in Colossians chapter 1, at least the majority of it. And before we jump in, and, and I do invite you to go ahead and open uh, to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be camping and living out today and just processing just the greatness of God's truth and God's word. I'd like to ask you to think about who are the three people who know you best? And it can, be, uh, it can be a spouse, it can be a friend, it can be a colleague, it can be a parent, doesn't really matter. Who are the three people who know you best? So get them in your mind, think about it. And then if I go to them, and you, this is just for you to be honest with your own person about. But if I were to go to them and say, hey listen, this is what, I, I've got a question for you. Um, Chico, you shouldn't sit on the front row because you just became a member. I'm going to use him. When you, the first thing, you know, I, was, I know that you know Chico. You're really good friends with him. And so when, I'm just curious. The first thing, when, whenever you think Chico, what's the first thing that you think he gets most, like what do you think of he gets most excited about? Right? I want you just to think about this. And if the answer is not Jesus then you don't fully understand the greatness of Jesus. That's where we need to live today. That's where we need to process this passage from that lens because it's such a beautiful passage of scripture, right? And that's why I even say, if, if I even looked at your friend, I said, what just gets them the most excited? What gets them amped up more than anything else is the answer, Jesus. Jesus Christ, Messiah, Emmanuel, is that the answer for us as we look at the people who know you best and we ask them those questions, right? And I understand, listen, the name Jesus is, it's the one thing you can walk into a room, I can walk into a room, and most people never guess what I do for a living uh, initially when they first meet me, and then I start talking, and they go, you must be a preacher, um, but I look at it, and you can just say the name Jesus, and it's the one name that can divide a room so quickly. There's all types of things that can divide our nation and can die, divide households at Thanksgiving and things like that. But I tell you, the name of Jesus can divide a room so quickly because everybody would say that he's a great prophet. We've spoken about this many, many times before. Even Muslims, they say he's a prophet, but he's one less prophet. He's, he's a lesser prophet, prophet than Muhammad. That's the thing. That's what they would tell you. So nobody disagrees with that. It's when you start reading through the word of God and you recognize that Jesus Christ is so much more than a prophet. What he is, he is the great high priest. He is the one true God, the living God. He was from the very beginning. And people go, wait a second, you're telling me he's savior? And that's where there's this rub that begins happening. And so when you're looking at this book that Paul is writing to Colossae, he's really helping them to understand more and more about who Christ is because they are being confused. False teachers are coming in. They're trying to add to Jesus. You can't really add it, but they're, they're, they're speaking other things about him, and they're trying to, to take away from who Jesus actually is. And so there's this struggle that's taking place. And so Paul's writing to them, and he's letting them know. He's speaking of the salvation Letting them know about the salvation that God has accomplished in Christ. But when you look, and I covered some of these passages last week, uh, verse 13 and 14. 
We're really going to be 15 and following, but you've you got to go back at least a little bit to verse 13 and 14. Amazing scripture. And he says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Oh, you're telling me that Jesus Christ can forgive my sins. Yes. It's a gift of grace, but you have it through faith in who he is. And he has given that to us. And so what we discover is Paul letting them know. He's reminding them. They're getting confused. They've gotten off of course. They've gotten off course. Right? You know what it's like. You just sometimes you just have to get realigned spiritually. And when I need to get realigned spiritually, I start reading about the greatness of Jesus. And when I can understand the greatness of Jesus Christ, everything else starts to fit into place a lot better. And so I just start reading, I jump in, and that's what Paul is doing. He's like, okay, they're, they're listening to some of the wrong voices, the wrong influences are in their life, and they need to get focused again. And so I'm going to remind them about the greatness of Christ and what he's really done and who he really is. And as a result of that, if they can understand that, if they can allow their ears to hear, their heart to process that message, everything else is going to get simpler in life. It's the same for you today. If you're confused about what to do in a relationship, if you're confused to do about uh, something with your job, it doesn't matter what it is. It, if you can have the proper perspective of Jesus, I'm telling you now, the proper perspective of Jesus. Remember, here's one of the perspectives. They, Paul was not writing them praying that they would have all of their difficult circumstances alleviated. He was praying that they would be his witness in the midst of them. So you have to have the proper view of Jesus. If you have the proper view of Jesus Christ, everything else starts to simplify. And so he's writing these powerful words to remind them of who Christ really is. And what we're going to find is a psalm that the Apostle Paul wrote to explain who Jesus is. It's this beautiful psalm. And he's writing it to these people who are living in a territory that is far away from Jerusalem. Perhaps we have an, a map that you can be able to see here. Um, once again, you saw this last week. You can see where Jerusalem is. These guys, you can see Colossae. You see Ephesus. You see where Rome is on the far upper left. And these people are in a, a new territory when it comes to Christian faith. And so Paul is writing to remind them of who Christ really is. He's speaking of the salvation that God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. And so the title of this tells you a little bit. Uh, in, some, my, in, in my Bible, it says the preeminence of Christ is a subtitle that's given here to this passage of scripture. Some, passage, uh, some uh, translations would say the supremacy of Christ. Very similar language, right? So here is this passage entitled the preeminence of of Christ or the supremacy of Christ it means to, to give something the highest rank or the highest authority for something to be preeminent for something in your life to not only be preeminent uh, but also su supreme it means it has to have the highest rank the highest authority it has to be right up there with truly what it is to be sovereign preeminent means if you look it up superior to or above all else 
superior to and above all else. So when you recognize and put Christ in proper perspective, again, everything else in your life begins to fall into place much easier. And so here's the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And it's this thing where Paul is wanting them to understand the worth of Jesus. When something in your life has great worth, it then has great impact. When something in your life has great worth, it then has great impact. So whatever impacts your life the most is what you have probably given the most value. I mean, that's something that you, we need to walk away with today. Something in your life that has great worth, it has great impact. And so you look at the things that impact your life the most, and it's, they, they're impacting your life the most because you've given them the most value in your life. And so he's writing this passage to help them understand this. And I want to begin just by walking through some of these passages of Scripture, some of these verses with verse 15 and following. And he begins with by saying, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So here are a lot of different characteristics. You're going to find them here. You can scribble them down on your notes. But it's going to call out who Jesus is. And it begins with, of course, the image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the exact representative of God. If you want to know how God handles the sick, if you want to know how God would handle sinners, if you want to know how God would handle the hurting, if you want to know any of those things, look at how Jesus did that very thing, and you know how God would do that very thing. Why? Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn in all of creation. The firstborn. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything was created for Jesus and by Jesus. He was with God in the very beginning and he is with him today. He existed before anything else. He holds all of creation together verse 17 there it is he and he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is the head of the body the church he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything anybody else picking up on how often it says everything or all that in everything he might be preeminent remember that word means that in that he might be above superior to everything else and that's where you have to ask yourself is is he above everything else in my life is he superior to anything else in my life for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace By the blood of his cross. Here are some of those characteristics. In verse 15, of course, it says he's the image of the invisible God. Right? And in verse 15, it shows the supremacy in relationship to creation. He was the firstborn, it says, not the first of anything else. He's the firstborn. Also, it tells us that by him all things were created in verse 16. 
by him all things were created. It tells us that in verse 18 that he's the head. Christ is the head. It tells us in verse 18 that Christ is the beginning. It tells us in verse 18 that all of God's fullness dwells in him. All of God's fullness dwells in him. And it tells us later on that he's the reconciler. We find that in verse 20. It tells us so many of these beautiful characteristics of who Christ really is. And over and over, and I know that if for those of you who have been raised in a church or have been attending a church for some while, we can hear these words and so easily go, yeah, that's Jesus Christ. And then we step out of this place, we get in the car, we go to lunch, we do whatever we need to do on a Sunday afternoon, watch some football, we get ready for another week, and then we just jump into our life again. And we actually run a life, we, 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 we live in a life that is separate from who Christ is, where he is not preeminent. Remember, once again, preeminent, supreme, it means that he, they ha, he has the highest rank, the highest authority in your life, and he is superior to and above all else. That's what the language literally means. This passage is showing off the greatness of Jesus. Right, okay, so uh, I, I have kids, and I like to tell some stories about them, but also I love to tell people about how proud I am of them at times, and some things that they do. Right, you know those parents, though, that like, like I get to the line of where you, sh- you know, like, okay, you need to stop, so I stop. That's primarily because I have a wife who glares at me, um, and she'll be like, okay, stop, and I'll be like, okay, I'm not talking about them anymore. But you know those parents who just always talk about their kids, like, and how great they are, and they walked on water, and, um, you know, they're only 11, but they've already got their PhD, and uh, they're doing all these fantastic things, and they went to Michigan and Michigan State at the same time, and, like, like you know, you know those people I'm talking about, right? And, and, and maybe those people, there are some who just even do that about themselves, and they always talk about how wonderful they are, and all these things that they're doing in their life. What if we were that excited to speak about who Jesus is to us? I mean, again, this is a passage of Scripture where Paul is coming, and he's showing off the greatness of Jesus. Hey, guess what? He created everything, and everything was created by him and for him. And God dwells in his fullness within him. He's the image of the invisible God. I mean, this guy is the bomb. There's pretty good credentials, amen? Pretty good credentials, and yet we struggle to speak about him, yet we don't mind telling you that our ninth grader played volleyball on the C team. You know what I mean by that? Like you just can't compare the two. You can't compare the two. This is Colossians chapter 1. People ask me, I've told them before, like, okay, what, you know, like, why don't you do what you do? Colossians chapter 1, if you, if you get who Jesus is, ah, oh, it's, it's pretty spectacular. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I, I get that he lived a couple thousand years ago and he healed some people. What do you mean? Like, the, Colossians chapter 1 is Paul letting these people know who, again, they didn't have the background, they didn't have the history in terms of religion, in terms of the same way that we think about with Jerusalem and the, and the Sanhedrin and all, this different, all these different things that come into play. And yet Paul is letting them know, he's God. 
the image of the invisible God, right? This is who he is. By him all things were created. And he is the head. He is the beginning. So that's why I, I, I sometimes I'm amazed at the things that we want to share with others. And yet we have a timidity to also share some other things with others. The greatest news to all of humanity, we sometimes struggle to get out of our mouth. That is a problem for me. But if I walk up to you tomorrow and go, man, Thursday sure was warm, wasn't it? It was awesome. I went for a run, 54 degrees, boom, holler. You'll be like, oh, yeah, it's been, it, was, it was Superman. But tomorrow it's getting cold again and going to get some more snow. We can have that conversation so easy. But yet when it comes to the fact that Jesus Christ is the image of the visible God. That in him all things were created. We struggle. Why is that? And it's just simply for this reason. I don't think it's fully been processed within our minds and our hearts. That's a belief thing. I still think that we, all of us, we struggle sometimes in belief. In, it's, it's, you ever heard of faith? Truly believing that this is real. Not that Jesus is just some prophet, right? But he really is the son of God. Because if that was processed within our minds, within our hearts differently, then I think we do speak of it differently. Why? Because we don't like to be wrong. We don't want to be wrong, and so we want to speak about things in which we can't be wrong about. Well, the weather guy says it's supposed to snow tomorrow. Right? We, we'll say that, or we'll say, well, we, two plus two is four. I just had to rethink about that real quick. And I got it right. Right? And you go, okay, wait a second. We, we want to be able to do that. So why is it? Here's the, here's the reluctance that we have. is because do we really believe what, what Paul is speaking to this church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1? Do we believe that? And the passage is showing off the greatness of Jesus. I mean, here's a guy. Everywhere Jesus went, pe pe people wanted to be with him. I mean, in, in the Gospel of Mark, we find the winds and the waves obeying him. Wow, Jesus is God. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Truly believe it. It cannot simply be a good idea in our lives. It has to sit on our hearts. All right, we've gotten so accustomed to speaking about it that it no longer impacts us. I remember I grew up um, for a couple of years. I lived in a place called Waycross, Georgia. It's down near Jacksonville. Um, and there are paper mills all over the place. And we went to Brunswick for a good bit, which is right off the coast, Brunswick, Georgia. Um, and paper mills are all over the place. And I, I, I remember when we first moved there, I was like, man, this whole, this whole state stinks. Because it just doesn't smell very good, right? 
And I'm just like, man, it doesn't, but after time, you know what? I'd have friends come visit me. They're like, man, this place smells. I'm like, no, it doesn't. This place is fantastic. What are you talking about? They're like, no, you don't, you don't smell that? I'm like, smell what? It's fresh air. They're like, it's rotting eggs. Right? And that's how we are. We get so accustomed to something that sometimes we don't recognize even what's around us anymore. And I think so many people have grown up saying, yes, Jesus is God, because that way I can say that I have eternal life just in case. So many people have grown so accustomed to saying that, that they have forgotten what is really happening and who Jesus really is. They've grown so accustomed to it. They've forgotten that there's truth in the fact that Jesus created everything. Jesus controls everything. And we control nothing. He is all-powerful. In verse 19, and it really, if you want to summarize all of these passages into one, here it is. In verse 19 it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell like he has the fullness of God. Other passages talking about in the same way that they're, they're articulating here that he is the first. He is to be first in everything in our life. So when we're struggling in a relationship, it really doesn't even matter who it's with. You're struggling in a relationship. Your first thought, your thir- first process is how can Christ be glorified in this. I've told some people recently, and they're really struggling in a relationship that they are in, and I said, hey, you get to model what Christ did for you and the way that you choose to forgive this person. They said, I don't want to. I said, I I appreciate your honesty. Sometimes I don't want to. But you get to model for them That's what it means that Christ is first in all things, is that we get to model our life after Christ. And it says he is to be first in everything. In everything. He's greater than all else. It tells us that in through him to reconcile to himself, verse 20, all things. So he is all things, that he's reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is supreme. And that's where some people really get offended. Well, you can't tell me, right? And I've had some people in my life just growing up in different areas and passing in different areas of the country where people will walk up and you can tell they're just trying to push my button and, and they're, trying to, they're trying to trap me maybe and, maybe and they come up and they're like, hey, so you're telling me if I don't believe in Jesus Christ, something happens to me, I, I'm going to go to hell. You ever had that happen before? Right? People are going to do this to you if you speak about Jesus, by the way. Right? We don't like those things, so that's why we don't tell people about Jesus. Bring it. That's what I have to say to them. Because this is, this is perfect. And so they've come to me and say, you're saying, yeah, I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe in Jesus. That's the only way. Even though I've done all these other things in my life. I'm going to say, if you know, if you've been presented with the gospel and you've said no to Jesus Christ, yes. All. And, I, and when I say it like that, they get so upset. And some of you may just have gotten offended. 
I'm okay with that. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is perfect. In him, all things were created for him, by him, for him all the time so that he would be glorified. He can forgive sins. He is the only way to God. And that's where we just we, we struggle so much because some of the time, one of the things that we um, really have to kind of, we have this inner battle about is actually, actually going, is he really Savior? Is he really the Son of God? Is he really salvation? Salvation is, is through him and in him alone. Right? Do we believe those words in the book of Romans? Do we believe in John 14, 6? He's the way and the truth and life. No one goes to the Father except through him. Do we, believe, do we really believe those things? Because if you do, it changes the rest of your life. Right, we have these things that we, we love. Uh, the vision statement God's given to us is to be transformed followers of Jesus, right? passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer and equipping disciples. That's why you saw that video before about our pointy lectures with Pastor Luke and Pastor Jim and why that's so important to us. It's also why uh, we always speak about stories of transformation. A story of transformation is someone who simply encountered God, experienced God in a greater way than before, and as a result, their life is changing. And they see the blessing of it. They see the benefit of it. And so many people stop before the transformation because they don't fully acknowledge all of who Christ is. And as a result, their story is told in light of their own brokenness rather than their story being told in light of the glory of God. That's what happens. Is this making sense? Someone just say yes. If the answer is no, see me after. Right, so our story is impacted differently by whether or not we've really bought in and have faith in the fullness of who Christ is. That's what Paul is letting them, tr he needs them so desperately to understand this. You're going to get pulled away, you're going to get distracted, you're going to get just yanked out of who Jesus Christ really is unless you stay focused on the truth. Let me make sure you remember who he is. He is the, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. He's the head, the beginning, God's fullness dwells in him. He's the reconciler. You need to understand this. I say reconciler, verse 20, and through him, what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. The theme here is this, Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. Jesus is first. He is preeminent. He is supreme. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is this. Does Jesus tell and determine our story? Or have we surrendered that to something or someone else? What is it that determines your story? Because too many of our stories are being determined by something other than Jesus.
does Jesus determine your story? Or have you surrendered that to something or someone else? What's amazing to me is um, verse 21 and following. I want to share that briefly because think about, think about that very question. Does Jesus or something else determine your story? And then it says, and even you, you were once far away from God. You were once alienated. You were hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds. Right, it's letting us know that we were separated from him by our own evil thoughts and actions. That's what that's saying. And he has now, as even though you were alienated, you were alienated, you were far away from God, you were hostile in your mind, you were doing all kinds of evil things because your story was being told by you rather than by who Jesus is. But now he has reconciled in his body of flesh, right? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God, before him. I mean, it's, it's, this passage blows my mind because we were the ones who were telling our own stories based on our circumstances, based on pursuing evil and hateful things. And that's how our story was being told. We were enemies of God. It's literally one of the translations that we were enemies of God. And yet even as an enemy of God, alienated from him. It means when you're alienated from something, it means that you are now under a different authority. One other than God. One other than Christ. And yet he, what he did is he came in and said, you know what though? I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to still be in fellowship with me. To still be in relationship with me. And so I'm going to take the wrath of God for you. That's why I'm amazed. When you, when you really believe that, to tell you and let you think that my story is really about me is so inadequate. My story is not about me. My story is about Christ. And we live in a society, we live in a world I know that just wants you to believe that your story is perfect exactly the way it is. It's not. You're a sinner. God is perfect. But God can redeem your story. God can renew your story through the blood of Jesus Christ when you've been reconciled to him. When you live in a society, we're doing a fantastic job of making everyone believe that they should worship themselves. You're the best. But you're not. Christ is first. Jesus is first. He tells us in verse 23, he has reconciled us, right? In his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy, to present us blameless, above reproach, if indeed it says if you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast. Well, how do we do that? 
how do we really, here's a how-to, like, I want you to understand the enormity of Christ and that he's first. Jesus is first. Jesus is first. Jesus is first in all things. He is preeminent. I want you to understand that. But it's a matter of really, how do you come to that place? A couple things for you to know. Um, one of the first things that you have to do, if you really want to acknowledge that Jesus is first, is you have to humbly recognize that you're not the master of your life. Like you have to at least surrender that, and you have to allow Jesus to have authority. You have to humbly recognize that you're not who Christ is. That's harder than we sometimes admit. But once you humbly recognize that you're not the master of life, you can do the second part, which is you can start to abide in him. You see, you can't abide in Christ if you're still claiming preeminence for yourself and not giving it to Christ, recognizing who he is. You can't do it. You can't abide in him and go, but life is all about me. You can't abide in Christ and still be living for self and not living for him. And so you have to humbly recognize that he really is preeminent. And then as a result of that, you have to abide in him. It tells us that very clearly. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And that's his fears, that they're shifting from the gospel. They're moving away from the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under earth, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's making sure that they are understanding of who Christ is and that they're abiding in him. The primary purpose of this reconciliation was to make those who were formerly alienated from God acceptable to God once again. To be grounded in Christ. And so we process, we recognize that our own life, our own story, is interpreted by the victory of Jesus Christ. Our own story is told by who he is and what he's done for us. You see, I asked you earlier, that I said, think about the three people who know you best. What would they say you get most excited about? Well, you get most excited about Jesus Christ when you recognize that your story is being told because and out of what he has done for you. Our story is determined by the eternal Jesus far more than our, our, our temporary circumstances. Our story is determined by our eternal Jesus far more than our temporary circumstances. I'm going to invite our praise team to come back out, but I, this is how I would tell you that we need to really focus on the things that we need to think about. One is... I want, I want you to know my story. I've told you many times about my own life, but I'll tell you very, very, very quickly my own story. My own story is very simply acknowledging who Christ is. I partly do that through acknowledging who I am not. And in doing so, I know that my story is not determined by circumstances or things that are temporary. But my story, and even really the story of Christ, will be told and how I choose to handle those in a godly manner. My story is a story of victory. My story is, a, is one of grace, of mercy, and hope. Because I really do believe that Jesus Christ is all of these things that were mentioned 
and in Colossians chapter 1. Like, I really believe it. And I've struggled with it, trust me. I've, I've, I've had the journey. But it's when God takes the two by four, ties a cinder block to the end of it, and then glues nails to the end of the cinder block, and then lights the whole thing on fire, and then hits you across the head, and he says, it's me or it's not. Choose. I believe. And so my story is a story of victory that even in my inadequacy, I'm loved by God. My story is one of complete mercy and grace because I deserve none of it. My story is one of passion because Christ was one of passion. You think he did? For, we we, we want to, what would Jesus do it, right? You want to be who Jesus is? You don't think Jesus Christ was passionate to die on the cross for you? To take the wrath of God? You don't think he was passionate about you in order to do that? I'm not doing that for someone I'm not passionate about. Jesus Christ is passionate for me, and so I'm passionate for him. Because I believe in the truth of who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. And I, you, some of you are going, I get it, Joe, I've heard this my whole life. But we have to believe it so deeply within our veins that nothing else comes out. It needs to take hold of us. So that when I go to those people who know you best, I go, what gets them most excited? They go, oh, Jesus does. That's their story. And you let it overwhelm you. Because it's what will take you through the crap of life. My story is Jesus. Is yours.